the ground with the host Darius Okola and Viscount Kowur. Welcome to episode 4 where we take a look at county 41, 42, 43 and 44. That is Siaya, Kisumu, Homa Bay and Migori. The region's vibrant politics, rich agricultural projects, its nexus as the lake transport hub, and the big landmass, obscure, complex clan, regional, and local politics, which makes it one of the focal points in the 2022 succession politics in the country. Welcome, Mr. Viscount. As a resident of Kisumu, I feel there is need that I give my voice on the issue of healthcare in this county and mainly the issues are touching on three areas. One of them regards payment of salaries and allowances, which has been a problem since the new governor, Professor Peter Nyangnyongo, took over from the previous governor, Jack Ranguma. For the last two years, we've had cases of delays in salaries, which has caused so many strikes to happen in Kisumu, thereby uh, interfering with continuous and sustainable healthcare services in Kisumu. So for the last one year, for example, we have had more than five strikes by professionals in the, in the health sector. And this has disrupted treatment and service for patients. And sometimes Kisumu residents have had to resort to private hospitals when they are sick, and this has caused issues. So it has really kind of put Kisumu in a very tight place, especially with this corona pandemic. And recently there was even an outbreak of cholera. So healthcare in Kisumu is not as good as it should be. The other issue that is touching on the healthcare is that Kisumu County is one of the pilot counties for the universal health coverage, which has had a lot of challenges and gone into strong headwinds because payment or the allocations that are supposed to be sent to the counties by the national government have not been sufficient and, in some time, and sometimes they have delayed and thereby putting local hospitals to strain, and this has affected the delivery of services in local health facilities. Then the last bit about healthcare, there's a problem is on supplies of drugs. So you go to any of these hospitals in Kisumu, you're sick, but there are no drugs, because sometimes supplies delay, and that delay mostly is caused by delays in payment by the county to, to cancer, which provides those drugs. So the strategy of three factors, that is delays in payments of salaries, delays in payment to supplies to cancer, and the challenges being faced in the provision of universal health coverage have uh, impacted negatively on the provision of health care in Kisumu County. Yeah, so I'm looking at these issues, I'm thinking the cholera outbreak and the five strikes that have happened. How come these issues never make it to the national, local dailies, you know, the newspapers? It's become a very localized affair, yet it's such a big issue. Sometimes they do get into the national headlines in terms of media coverage, 
but you know how media can be sometimes there is a story but some senior officers of the county intervene and that story is killed but in certain cases especially the cholera outbreak is something that was captured by the dailies i mean switching gears a bit one of the things we've noticed with this corona pandemic is we've stopped importation of a lot of things including the chinese fish which was becoming an issue in uh, Kisumu. So local fishermen are now able to sell, but immediately they're able to access the market. Curfews come in, which affect their fishing. Then there's this ban on, you know, travel bans and restrictions that are going on. How's the local fish industry processing all these contradictory policies and circumstances? The ban on Chinese fish has had two sides, the positives and the negatives. And one positive is that at least right now, local uh, traders and fishermen are able to reap nicely from the sale of fish in Kisumu. So we can say that it has protected the local industry. And Chinese fish used to sell at a lower price than the local fish. It means there was stiff competition. But right now, that competition has been addressed and fishermen and the traders are able to set their prices, which then gives them some benefit. But the other side of the ban is that prices are now not as competitive as they used to be. And that means consumers are paying more for fish today than they used to do when the ban was not there. That's interesting because you'd expect that eventually it's the consumers who are beneficiaries of these different policies that have come into place. Within the wider Nyanza conversation, of course, there's a issue of corruption at the county level. From Homa Bay, we see the same issue in Siaya. Kisumu has not been spared. Migori. How are people dealing with this sense of, for the first time, money is coming to the ground in significant numbers? But that money is not creating the kind of difference we expected, especially for such a political region. What's been the dynamics on the ground? Corruption is rife in Kisumu, Siaya, Oma Bay, and Migori counties, just like any other county in Kenya. And the factors that kind of promote corruption in these areas is that, number one, we have weak institutions at the local level. In terms of the anti-corruption commission, if people can be bribed to kind of drop corruption cases at the national level, then it it means it is easier for a county officer to to bribe an officer from the anti-corruption commission at the local level. So it means that the institutions that are supposed to ensure that uh, we are zero tolerant to corruption are not as strong, and therefore. Corruption still finds its way in, in government offices, in tendering, in contracts, and in any other dealings where public resources is concerned. The other thing is that if you look at the Constitution, it provides for mechanisms for public participation. And this is done through social audits where residents are able to question how finances are being used, the projects that are being implemented in various areas, and what is being spent on such projects. But with weak platforms, weak mechanisms for public participation, it means that uh, residents are not able to do social audits 
on the general county finance or in terms of projects that are undertaken in their respective areas. The other issue that makes corruption a problem in low counties is that corruption is endemic in nature, even at the national level. We are still having serious challenges fighting corruption at the national level. It's not something that we have resolved as a country, let alone a county, that we need to eradicate corruption. It's something that is now part of our culture. It is endemic. It's something that is now part of us, and fighting it needs a greater resolve at the national level then the trickle-down benefits can then be felt at the county level. The way things are, it means even at the counties, there are no proper mechanisms to ensure that we are zero tolerant to corruption. Okay, let's switch gears a bit, burial rights. Um, we are a community, we have our own culture and a way or in which we mourn our people and, you know, bury them. But then what we saw in Siaya two, three days ago was something that staged a culture that has been there for quite a long time and the shock of it and how that is destabilizing for how we've understood our own cultural rights towards the dead. How are people making sense of this kind of basically disruption that can almost be said to have been a violent assault on a culture that has been for people for a long time? I think we need to put into proper perspective, especially the case in Syria where an alleged victim of corona died and was buried dead in the night and in a manner that is not only uncultural but is kind of an indignity to the dead. So it's not about burial rights as such, but we felt, generally the people around here felt that Mr. Yugi was not accorded a respectful, a befitting burial, not in terms of rights, but in terms of how we need to enter our relatives, our friends who have passed on. If it is about corona, we've had cases where we've lost, Yugi was just maybe the ninth or the eighth victim of corona. We have had cases where burials have been conducted in a dignified and respectful way. So we just asked what makes Oyugi's case peculiar or different from the others. He needed to be put into a coffin, buried during the day, just like the others. So the manner in which the body was disposed of, that was not even burial. The manner in which the body was disposed of was ugly and disrespectful. And that's why the committee around here voice their concerns and say it cannot be done this way. We have to respect the dead. Looking at it, his burial and how the state systems handle his body, it feeds into a certain problem that has been there in the community. We remember body bags from two, three years ago. So there's this sense yes. that the state has this idea that it, it can always mishandle bodies. I mean, it seems that people here or bodies here are not to be accorded respect, per se. Is that, is that a sense you get on the ground, that people are feeling, no, this government, this has become how state structures deal with Luo bodies, if you will? You are very right. It might not have been the motive of those who disposed of that body, but the signal that was sent, because this is something that has happened before um, in 
various circumstances of selection violence, we've had cases of body bags being sent to Nyanza to dispose of victims of police brutality and extrajudicial killing. So what happened to you, we kind of gave wrong signals and pointed to something that is now past us. It was it rekindled memories of uh, the state kind of treating some people in a less dignified way than other people. So what happened to Yugi uh, was bad, and local leaders had to come in and speak on behalf of the people, and I think uh, steps are being taken to address the situation. All right. So still within the wider Nyanza, we've had floods, one of the worst flood periods in over 10 years in Nyando, you know which has had floods throughout history. But then the issue, because of corona, the issue has not gained the kind of prominence and urgency that it had before. How are, again, people handling it, knowing that over a thousand people have been displaced? You know, I won't say it is one of the worst uh, flood situations in this county or the parts of Nyakach and Nyand. It's only that this time around, the response has been very poor. And floods in Nyando is perennial, isn't that? Year in, year out, we hear cases of people being displaced. But how the government of the day, especially the county government, responds to such calamities informs to the extent to which that calamity will be more destructive or less destructive. In the past few years, there were dikes that were built or constructed in the areas of Nyando and Nyakaj. And this, in a way, was a strong preventive measure so that in the past years, we've not had cases of floods causing havoc like it has done this time round. The thing is, apart from the response, those dikes have not been maintained in the past two, three years that we've had a new county government in power. And that means without those dikes, then floods have had kind of a free hold on those areas, and the result is that animals have been killed, humans have been displaced, homes have been destroyed, crops have been destroyed, and the corona situation has made it even worse because attention now has been given more to the prevention and responding to corona while other people who have been victims of the floods are equally suffering. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing all this criticism of uh, Nyanza uh, MP, uh, MPs, but also governors, and being compared to, say, some of the coastal governors and what they're doing. There's a sense of disappointment in terms of the kind of leadership provided in the region. How are people dealing with this in light of, you know, BBI, which they had placed so much hope for, and, you know, now that uh, the COVID uh, pandemic has stopped reggae? BBI is not a solution to the leadership problem in Nyanza. In fact, it is it is a strategy to maintain the status quo. For example, leaders like the CIA governor, Cornel Zasanga, have stood on platforms of BBI to claim greater positions when they are supposed to be retiring. We've seen governors like Awiti, using BBI platforms to remain relevant while on the ground there is absolutely nothing that is happening. 
the level of incompetence in Homer Bay, for example, has now become a bad for jokes because it's not a, a going concern anymore. So the leadership situation in Nyanza is worrying. And when you want to know the root cause of problem is that you look at the way those leaders come into positions of power in the first place. Normally they are just two years. Normally they are just puppets. Normally they are handpicked by the party. That way they strive to serve party interests more than the interests of the people. So the situation in Nyanza, the leadership situation in Nyanza is not just about any other thing apart from a monolith party system where one party uh, decides who becomes the area MP, who becomes the senator, who becomes the women rep, who becomes the governor. And once a decision has been made at the party level, we do not have a strong basis of democracy that then the people can say, we also have a say in how we are going to be led. So the sense of self-determination that a people ought to have, and which is a pillar of democracy, is totally non-existent in Lonyanza. So that's why our leaders will fail, like they have done, but still they'll get elected. This is one region that has always held the state to account. How is it failing in their own backyard? And besides that, how are the different ways people are trying to navigate their own personal economic lives in the light of the challenges that we are facing with the curfew? The economy was already not performing. So how are local people making sense of their place in the nation, especially that contradiction, that political contradiction, but also economically? We have preached democracy at the national level and conducted ourselves in a dictatorial manner at the local level. So it's a contradiction, and it's, it's because democracy is not a value that we inculcate in ourselves. It's something that we preach, but when it comes to actions, we do the opposite. So you will find that our law leaders are very vocal and noisy about holding the state accountable, while at the local level, they do exactly the ills which they accuse the national government for. So you'll find local MPs, governors, engaging in corruption at the same time, they are very noisy about corruption that is on the national level. So that is the contradiction that we have in Lonyansa, and is something that is worrying because the poverty levels in Lonyansa is one of the highest nationally. Yet there are no local interventions that are being put in place so that we can alleviate the suffering that people are going through. If you look at the level of illiteracy, the level of unemployment, especially among the youth, they are one of the highest at the national level. But when you look at interventions that are being put in place so that we could expand opportunities and build the capacity of local people, they are totally not there. And our leaders, in whatever platforms that they are talking on, they never try to address issues that are affecting the local community. That is interesting. So they're partly related to this conversation. How come Nyanza has one of the lowest tree covers in the country for a region that has so much water and land? I would um, use our background as a fishing community to try to respond to that. Because uh, if you look at agriculture generally, let alone forestry, 
we are very poor on agriculture as an economic activity. And uh, it's something that we just do for the sake of it. We do not have other alternatives. So that's why, apart from just planting trees, you will find that Nyanza, there are very few farmers rearing poultry, for example. There are very few farmers doing horticulture, for example. And it's because we have never believed that a community can create wealth through agriculture. So that's why, despite us having large parcels of land, but the tree cover is still minimal as compared to other areas. Agriculture is not something that is in our blood, something that we believe we can use to eradicate poverty and create wealth. As an anthropologist in the community and somebody who is into the social sciences and understanding human motivations, what are the one immediate step that you know the society can begin to take, not just political leadership, but so at a sociological or a psychological or at an anthropological level to begin to reorient the, the community in a way that they begin to see forestry as a thing, they begin to see farming as a thing, they begin to see that that their economic fortune lies in developing the region. Unfortunately, it is an area that the local leadership will have to come in and help because it needs social change so that people are able to realize certain potentials which currently did not realize. And this cannot happen without sensitization. So leaders need to sensitize the people that, of course, yes, we are from a fishing background, but times have changed. When you look at the fish quantities in Lake Victoria, they have dwindled. So we can no longer rely on fish like we used to do in the past. So farming is something that we need to take seriously. And from a voice of authority, it means it's the leaders talking, using uh, rallies, using radio stations and many other platforms, sensitizing the people on the need for us to embrace agriculture as a way of uh, alleviating poverty and creating wealth. The other thing is that we have few farmers, but these farmers are not being supported so that they can expand their activities. This is something that the, the, the county government should have already realized that they need to offer extension services, for example, provide seeds, provide fertilizer, just like the other areas. When you go to Rift Valley, when you go to Central, when you go to Western, local leaders there mobilize resources to support local farmers. In Nyanza, you will hardly hear Rover County government providing free fertilizers and seeds, for example. So mm -hmm. the county government realizing and acknowledging that agriculture is a devolved function needs to come out and assist local farmers so that from the successes of a few farmers, other farmers could then come in and embrace agriculture. And that way it becomes a gradual positive change until it reaches a point that at a, as a community we are able to fully embrace farming as an economic activity. Thank you. Thank you so much, Francisco Ward from Kisumu County. We much appreciate getting local insights into some of these issues facing us. Asante Karibu. Thank you for listening in. Did you know you can get this and more episodes of the Elephant Podcasts? Simply go to www.theelephant.info and click podcast tab on the homepage. See you next time and stay safe.